This is an ABC podcast. Hello, Natasha Mitchell coming from Nam or Melbourne with big ideas on a big question you might be wrestling with after the death of Queen Elizabeth and the coronation of a new king of Australia. Should we remain with a British monarch as our head of state or should Australia become a republic with King Charles and his representative, the Governor-General, being replaced by a President of Australia? 1999 was when Australians last voted at a constitutional referendum on the matter and you may have had your say back then if you were voting age. But the upheaval in the House of Windsor with the death of the longest reigning British monarch shines a bright spotlight again on these questions, as did the 2023 Manning-Clark lecture. It was given by Craig Foster, well-known former footballer and Socceroo captain, SBS sports broadcaster and human rights campaigner. He also happens to be chair of the Australian Republic movement. He gave this lecture titled Australia's Third Act Reconciled, Independent, Truly Multicultural, just before the coronation of King Charles III. Well, the next few years promises to be the most transformative and inspiring of any of the past 235 since white settlement in Australia. It's a moment of vast responsibility for Australians to make decisions that heal historical wounds, unite the different strands of our history, and that envisions the very best that Australia can be without compromise. To create the constitutional framework and cultural signposts to ignite the incredibly powerful mixture of ethnicities, cultures, stories and experiences through our shared values that can become a model for the world. Before we discuss these challenges, let us open with the wise words of George Burrawanga, former lead singer of the famous Warumpi Band, Aboriginal activist singers who foresaw these important steps many decades ago. George's first and only solo release was called Wake Up Australia and is a call for healing and unity between black and white through the next stage of our evolution into a republic with an Australian head of state.
Wake up, Australia, who's going to save you? Not the king or queen. Someone like you could be the president. Someone like me could be the president, says George. We get together, look at what we've got. We need a new election. Thank you, George. Wake up, Australia, indeed. Well, we can confidently say that an awakening is underway, one that is opening doorways to a boundless future. We're at the beginning of a social movement that can finally enable us to inherit our 65,000 years of history on this continent based in truth, justice and equality and bring to life the beautiful panoply of our contemporary demography to demonstrate to future generations and the broader world the deep pride we possess in our multicultural nature. It will take ambition, no small amount of courage, a vision of the next and final step in our decolonisation and trust in our fellow Australians. To believe that we are capable to reimagine the relationship between each of us based on equal rights and dignity, and I happen to believe in my bones that we can take these steps and become the most complete version of ourselves. A relatively small nation by population, just 0.037% of the world's population, our reputation as a country that wildly, massively outperforms on the world's sporting stage can be matched by our protection and promotion of the rights of First Nations peoples, our absolute commitment to democratic principles in an age of increasing authoritarianism and the worrying reshaping of the world's governance systems by non-democratic countries. There is perhaps one of the most important times since the Second World War to stand as a nation for people's rights, representative and participatory democracy, and the international rules-based system given the conflicts and realignments we see underway internationally. This year, 2023, the Australian people are being asked to take the first step by First Nations peoples. We are being invited to look back in history with new eyes and an open heart to hear the truth about colonisation, the stealing of land, the lie at the heart of the nation that was exposed by Mabo as recently as 1992, and to think through all that this tortured beginning of settlement after first contact has meant to First Nations and the still unequal relationship between us all. We are being offered a profoundly important opportunity to begin to heal the wound within each of us that opened when shots were first aimed at Aboriginal Australians who resisted the unwelcome advance by Captain Cook and to understand how this has inflicted Indigenous and non-Indigenous relations ever since. It's deeply inspiring to believe, as I do and I hope you, that Australia is capable of walking this journey of truth because it takes courage to look at ourselves critically and have the collective will to want to be better and do better. This journey is not about forcing anyone to feel shame, but about strengthening our commitment to truth and justice, the former automatically preceding the latter. Of course we want our history to reflect the complex reality of settlement, which includes massacre and oppression, racism and dehumanisation, because through this we can make amends and walk forward as one people. Reconciliation then is a fundamental part of Australia's evolving identity based in truth and equality. The next part of the national journey will come to life from 2024 onwards and is particularly prominent this week as Australia's King, 
Charles III is crowned on Saturday, May 6th. It is this anachronism that we are here to discuss. The importance of the coronation, firstly, is to ensure that every Australian is aware that they have a foreign king as the head of state, since around 30% of Australians were unaware of this fact. I say were, since public awareness was somewhat assisted by the call of the monarchy in recent days for all Australians to make a vocal pledge of allegiance to their king and his heirs and successors, would you believe, during the coronation ceremony. Nothing quite focuses the minds of Australians more quickly than asking us to bend a knee. We basically spend our whole lives proving that we never will. And now Charles expects us to cry out at the splendorous sight of his ascension. I thought you might like to hear the pledge in full since it clearly enunciates the expectations placed on you, on me and on every other Australian. I swear that, and this is a quote, this is not a pledge. I swear that I will pay true allegiance to your majesty and to your heirs and successors according to law, so help me God. There's a lot of work here, so let's break that down. A lot to work with. The first principle of a republic built on democratic principles is that public officials are accountable to the people and pledge their loyalty to us, not the other way around. That Charles thinks it appropriate that Australians act as his subjects and servants and pay true allegiance perfectly encapsulates the outdated, outdated notion of royalty, a concept that is not reconcilable in an age of equality and certainly not in a country of egalitarians. As to pledging anything towards Charles' heirs and successors, well, this is a line we needn't cross. The British royal family is nothing if not a representation of the truth of human equality. Since they remind us that there really is no such thing as royalness, royal or special blood, or humans born to rule other humans. There are just people with or without titles. And without wanting to denigrate or ridicule Charles or his family in any way, the reasons why we would not wish to pledge loyalty to his heirs or successors are patently obvious and I would say freely available. <laughs> then there's the oath before God that every Australian is asked to make. In a proudly secular country with many beautiful faiths and many Australians who do not practice one of those, no less. It's also very odd to see a person who is supposed to be ordained by God as part of a divine birthright and is head of the Anglican Church and defender of that faith alone request allegiance and loyalty to himself rather than his God. It seems quite remarkable to me. Finally, it's difficult to imagine the appalling judgment of a monarch who says on one hand that he cannot express the depths of his personal sorrow at the suffering of so many as he continues to deepen his understanding of slavery's enduring impact. At last year's Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in Rwanda, with asking First Nations Australians or descendants of slaves across the Commonwealth to cry out their subservience. It's truly stunning, but hardly surprising. Queen Elizabeth is said to have adopted the mantra, never complain, never explain. She might have added, 
never say sorry. Therefore, in a year where First Nations must hold the preponderance of public conversation with a looming referendum on the voice to Parliament, and with the greatest sensitivity and respect to this important process, the coronation is an opportunity to think about our broader path forward and need for full and final independence. For Australia to cut formal constitutional ties with the old British Empire, as represented by their present royal family, and select our own head of state, as we at the Australian Republic movement are fond of saying, one of us, for us, by us. An Australian who lives here has no allegiance to anyone but us, represents the best of our values, is accountable to us and pledges loyalty to you and I. Charles is, of course, king of 15 Commonwealth countries known as realms, essentially a part-time role representing Australia. At the Australian Republic movement, we reckon it's not too much to ask that our future head of state represents us full-time. Making the transition to an Australian Republic will be one of the most important nation-defining and nation-building exercises this country will ever undertake because we will finally be truly free in control of our own destiny. How do we get there? Through consultation, deliberation, and by vesting sovereignty and ultimate decision-making in the Australian people is how. It is a wonderful opportunity to consult with every Australian in every corner of this beautiful continent as to how we see ourselves, what we consider our bedrock values to be, and to commit to living these to the full. The question that the coronation asks, rather demands us to answer, is what are our national values? It's a question answered by governments from time to time as captured in citizenship statements and ceremonies. But given our rapid demographic and social change, isn't it time that we all came together and decided for ourselves, who are we? What do we believe in? How should we live together? What do we want our global contribution to be as a country? If we truly value equality, that dictates each of us possessing the same opportunity and rights. The meritocracy championed by convicts and settlers alike who fought against or sought to escape the class system must be strengthened. An Australian head of state accountable to the people is the only path. Our deep love of multiculturalism and the social cohesion that we enjoy because of our commitment to pluralism and secularism where every religion is respected but none rule means that the defender of the faith is untenable as the representative of the nation. The concept of multiculturalism also underpins the vision of our republic. It means not just diversity, which Australia proudly has in abundance, but equality between us all, no matter what we look like or our ancestry. Genuine multiculturalism means both access and representation. A country where no community faces barriers by virtue of their race, ethnicity or religion, and where every one of us can rise to any and every position. Just as First Nations are teaching us to listen in 2023, 
So too are our multicultural communities seeking a conversation about belonging, representation and togetherness that is long overdue. Exactly 50 years since the end of the White Australia policy, it is high time to re-evaluate the notion of equality and how we can manifest multiculturalism in every aspect of Australian life in a way that can become a model for a world with division and exclusion on the rise. Australians were deeply proud to see our most diverse federal parliament in 2022 and calls for greater representation in media, industry and the corporate world by Media Diversity Australia and the Diversity Council of Australia, for example, are an important part of this process. The final and most important practical and symbolic step is to open the highest office in the nation, our head of state, to every Australian of any background. That is the ultimate demonstration of our commitment to each other. To say that every one of us is so valued, that our commitment to equality is so real, that any of us can represent all of us. The British monarchy is by its very nature exclusionary and can play no further formal role in a nation that truly values its commitment to inclusion in all its forms. The journey of reconciliation as brought to life by the Uluru Statement of Voice Treaty Truth opens the path for Australia to join all other Commonwealth members by work, walking with First Nations in agreement making based on respect, equality, unity and sharing. But this agreement, which is so long overdue, can only be made with those of us who belong to this ancient land. It is our pact our responsibility, our agreement to make, and our relationship to remake. And the Crown can play no part in this future pact between every Australian. The Australian Republic is the next step on the path to healing and growth. And it is not possible to reconcile our journey in truth alongside First Nations on one hand, while holding the Crown with the other. In the past decade, the process of decolonisation has accelerated and terms such as Invasion Day, once seen as heretical or radical, have rightly been normalised. This is a natural process of stepping away from the Crown and fully inheriting our own country. Nowhere seen more clearly than at gatherings like this, where we once sang God Save the Queen and now conduct a ceremony that has deep meaning to every one of us. An acknowledgement of, or welcome to, country. To acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we are standing on. Bathe our souls in a smoking ceremony. Hear Indigenous language spoken. See dances performed. Hear the ancient sounds of the didgeridoo, are gifts that bind us all to this red earth and remind us of the history we have denied and were denied. We now accept the reality of the lie that was terra nullius. We understand the resistance of Pemulwuy and many others that was the frontier wars. Accept the more than 400 massacres of Indigenous peoples and the attempt, sanctioned by the Crown,
to wipe Aboriginal people from Van Diemen's land, now Tasmania, in what is today acknowledged as attempted genocide, the intentional destruction of a people and their culture. These ancestral legacies remain and it is up to us to lead the healing process that we can only rightfully undertake as a country alone. There's little question that following the passing of Queen Elizabeth in September of last year, for whom many Australians had affection, space has opened for these important conversations to germinate. And their flowering is that of our evolving and emerging identity as one people. As a member of the Asian region, ties to a bygone era of imperialism that is distinguished by the lasting impacts of oppression and subjugation of so many of our neighbours, no longer suits our conception as a nation with over 300 different cultural backgrounds or how we seek to be seen by the region and world. But this is not a repudiation of history, rather a positioning of the crown in its proper historical context where Australians can accept the positive inheritances and openly lament the negative uh, legacies. An Australian Republic is our opportunity to finally rise above the denials, the concealed history and deliberate falsifications and join together in truth. The Republic is a bridge between past, present and future. It is a celebration of the different strands of our history, viewed microscopically and forensically with honesty and courage, in a very real way, cleansing all our consciences and a unifying step that lets all Australians of any cultural background walk forward together. A moment when we emerge from more than 65,000 years into our whole selves, reconciled, independent and truly and proudly multicultural. Truth will set us free. And true freedom is a constitutionally independent Australia. And although a republic must be grounded in the twin pillars of truth and justice, let me be very clear to those Australians with affection for the Crown that we are with you we respect your feelings and views and no one should ever feel left out or uncomfortable in any way. A republic is about carrying forward the best of Australia and that means our British traditions and institutional inheritances which are an important part of our national story. And while it is clear from recent polls that Australians feel disconnected from the monarchy in 2023 and that Charles is seen as deeply unrepresentative a proposition against which it would be near impossible to argue, particularly after the past few days. Neither are we interested in denigrating Charles or his family in any way. In fact, quite the contrary. My co-chair, the legendary First Nations leader, Nova Paris, OAM and I, are inviting Charles to join us on this inspiring path and to eagerly welcome the final and natural evolutionary step of this great country called Australia. It would seem ludicrous for Charles to want to cling on to his position of head of state rather than allow an Australian to inherit the position in an orderly and respectful transition 
to complete the circle of history that has lasted 235 years. A yes vote for a fully independent Australia is a yes to the truth of our history. And by accepting its historical responsibilities, the monarchy can walk with all of us in a relationship of equals. Not one of subservience or allegiance, a term we last heard at the pledge by Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese to Australia's monarch last September. In a moment so jarring to see our democratically elected leader being forced to pledge fealty to a foreign king. But reinforcing that which every Australian already knows, that we are the equal of any. I have little doubt that he will have done so already, having announced his intention for a referendum on the Republic in a second term of government. Nevertheless, we will be asking the Australian Prime Minister to seek the support of Charles for the step that should be carried out together as a celebration of the historical parts becoming a future whole. Having made a fairly obvious case, we might now engage in some myth-busting and the reversion of diversions, if you like, by attacking some of the more common malfeasances against Australia's natural evolution into our third and final act. You might hear that Australia's democracy is not in need of change. Well, the five secret ministries of former Prime Minister Scott Morrison is exhibit A, B, C, D and E for those of us who beg to differ. A point made by Australia's Solicitor General who stated that the secrecy sponsored by the Governor General fundamentally undermined the principle of responsible government. Under the Australian Constitution, Australia's Governor General is the King's representative and bound to act in Charles's interests, not those of the Australian people. In any future constitutional model, an Australian head of state will be bound to uphold our democratic principles and conventions, and no Prime Minister could so deceive the Australian people. Looking back in history for a moment, we now know through the excellent forensic work of Professor Jenny Hocking and her book, The Palace Letters, that both the Queen and Charles were not only aware of the actions of then Governor-General Sir John Kerr, but were in fact supportive of his dismissal of a democratically elected Australian government led by Prime Minister Gough Whitlam in 1975. Following a conversation with Kerr, then Prince Charles was said by the Queen's private secretary, secretary Sir Martin Charteris, to have advised the Queen of the possibility that Kerr may be dismissed by Whitlam with the object, presumably, of replacing you with someone more amenable to his wishes it was written, and that if such an approach was made, the Queen would take most unkindly to it. The Queen would take most unkindly to it. The notion of impartiality of Australia's monarch exposed for all of Australians to see as the Queen clearly put her interests above those of the nation. Further, the Queen in fact encouraged the dismissal as Charterist advised Kerr on her behalf that if you do as you will what the Constitution dictates, you cannot possibly do the monarchy any avoidable harm. 
the chances are you will do it good. Stunning. These letters were hidden from the Australian people for over 50 years for one reason only, to protect the British monarchy and deny Australians the untruth at the heart of our democracy, that we hold ultimate decision-making power over our own country. One of the most important revelations of Professor Hocking's successful High Court challenge to the sealing of this fundamentally important correspondence is the letter written personally by Charles, now Australia's King, congratulating Kerr. Please don't lose heart, wrote Charles four months after the dismissal. What you did was right, the right and courageous thing to do. A colossal breach of the Convention of Neutrality of Australia's royal family at multiple levels and by Australia's new king, which leaves Australia's new head of state in an invidious position, having made an extremely partisan intervention into the most tumultuous moment in Australian political history, making the notion of a benign monarch as head of state a nullity, a lie. Australians have a fundamental right to be democratically represented and the notion of a monarch putting the Crown's interests ahead of ours is a powerful incentive for change. Sometimes we hear that the stability of Australia's political system, the Westminster parliamentary system of government, must be preserved and therefore Charles must remain, despite all that we have discovered this evening. To these people I say, we are all committed to maintaining governmental stability and therefore we are all Republicans. If stability is your aim, then let us agree to embed the ceremonial nature of our own head of state into the constitution, codify the reserve powers that at Charles's own hand have proven so dangerous and make a stronger commitment to our democracy. In fact, stability of governance is a powerful motivator to cut formal ties with the monarchy and place our sovereignty in the hands of every Australian. Let's turn now to our future in the Commonwealth. This will be unchanged, in fact strengthened, since the overwhelming majority of the 56 Commonwealth nations are already republics, and of the remaining 14 members outside of the UK with Charles as head of state, the majority have expressed their wish to separate in the near term. The inexorable march of independence is unstoppable because it is so natural. Charles's mother began her reign in 1952 as head of state of 32 nations, and by her passing, this number was just 15, with the latest to separate being Barbados in 2021. First Nation and other advocacy groups of these 14 non-UK members have repeatedly called for a formal apology for the Crown's involvement in, profiteering from, and protection of transatlantic slavery to discussions regarding financial reparations for the stolen treasures and wealth of former colonies and the repatriation of cultural artefacts and ancestral remains of their Indigenous peoples. There are still over 32,000 First Nations artefacts and remains in UK museums and demands are rightly being made of Charles to return them to their true owners and ancestors here in Australia. 
This is a central part of the process of decolonization, returning dignity to oppressed peoples, admitting historical wrongs, and working to repair the damage. And all of these escalating conversations place the Crown in a very different cultural context in the minds of Australians in 2023. It is fading further and further into the distance. And the general shrug by Australians at the coronation is ample evidence of the now almost complete disconnect. Finally, returning for a moment to 1999, let's consider several lessons from the Republic referendum. Naturally, the entire Republic movement, which understandably has different views on the practical steps of change, now understands that there is but one opportunity to make this critically important change and compromise will be required of all of us. I have thoroughly enjoyed conversations with the various groups seeking change and am confident this will happen. Secondly, Australians felt disconnected from the eventual model developed through the 1998 Constitutional Convention and were convinced that the model reflected a lack of democratic participation. The most important step forward is to demonstrate, nay, strengthen our commitment to citizen engagement and participation and consult across the entire country so that Australians can deliberate on the head of state they wish to see. The Republic stands for the people's affairs and it is the people who will decide the form that our head of state will take. It follows that the Australian Republic is an opportunity to strengthen the participation of our citizens in the design of our shared future. If we start with stability, commit to democratic principles and accountability to the people of Australia, whatever we look like and wherever we are, we will come to know ourselves better, unify as a people and nation, grow into our contemporary demography and empower a respectful future together. From 65,000 years of First Nations culture to federation and constitutional monarchy, Australia's third and final act will begin when we all stand proudly in front of the world as a fierce advocate for democracy, multiculturalism, equality, justice and inclusion. That version of Australia can be a shining beacon in an uncertain world. Chair of the Australian Republic Movement and former Socceroo Captain Craig Foster delivering the 2023 Manning-Clark Lecture. Now ANU historian Professor Nicholas Brown is leading questions from the audience. I'm going to field questions now, uh, but I'm going to begin with a question of my own. Right at the start of your talk, you mentioned it would take no small amount of courage to embrace this opportunity on the three topics that you've mentioned there. Mm. And courage is actually a word that came up at several points through your, through your talk, uh, including from the King himself. So what are we frightened of? Uh, that's a good question. I'd like you to ask Australia mm. that question. So why do I keep going to that is in part because of history, of referenda, uh, in part because of what happened in 99, in part because what we see Australia experiencing this year with the voice referendum mm. and 
Also because in order to walk forward in what we might call a just republic, uh, I think it was Noel Pearson who made that, that statement or that terminology, um, we have to look back, which First Nations are asking us to do, and understand and come to an acceptance around the birth of post-first contact Australia. That takes courage, undoubtedly. Um, it's a courage that we haven't been able to summon until now. You know, this is the first time in 2023 when Australia is really confronting this issue at the very heart and in our hearts about post-first uh, settlement. And having that conversation is not easy. And so people come, uh, you know, to it in their own way. Um, we all have different experiences. And as a country, we are trying to collectively consider, open the truth of those moments, and at the same time, listen to First Nations and actually hear. And I think that does take courage. I think actually that Australia is demonstrating, um, you know, I, in fact, I would say I take pride at the way actually that Australia is walking that path at the moment. It's challenged and it's tortured but this is 235 years of not wanting to talk about it. And so I don't think we can uh, overestimate the challenge. And at the moment, Australia, I think, is doing an excellent job in managing all of the complexities and the deep emotions that this is naturally going to bring through for all of us. First Nations are doing an extraordinary job because it's such a gracious you know, it's such a gracious offer by opening their hand and opening their hearts. Uh, I think that's helping a great deal. But Australians are now having conversations, as I said there, uh, particularly following the part in relation to the Crown, following the passing of Elizabeth, very different conversations than we ever had before. I might say the UK is also doing the same and are many other Commonwealth nations. You might have seen recently in UK press the Guardian newspaper, for example, some of the owners of that looking back into their involvement in slavery and working to make reparations and going to Jamaica and elsewhere and talking to the descendants of slavery. And increasingly, Charles, as the new monarch, is being called upon to have those conversations and to reconcile with the history of his family, the Crown and the British Empire. That's all consistent with the journey that Australia is also work, walking. Thank you, Craig. And I wanted to pick up on that um, point that you made at the end about the opportunity to engage Australian citizens yeah. in this process. And I think that there's a quite a strong link between the Uluru Statement from the Heart process with what you ended off there with. Because one of the things that I think is so inspired and inspiring for us as Australians is the process that led to the Uluru Statement, that process of Indigenous leaders going around the country and meeting with different communities and saying to them, what do we want from our constitution? Is that essentially what you're saying to all of us, that we should, over the next couple of years, be following Indigenous Australia's lead, but also in engaging all Australians in that whole process of actually saying, what do we want from the Republic? And if that is the case, how do we then manage the different responses that we get to what we want? Okay. So um, I agree with you on the process that has been undertaken by First Nations peoples. Um, and that process has clearly been 
a foundation stone that everyone can hold on to to say this consultation has occurred and in, in First Nations Australians have come to the table and have made this decision. And the whole point about a republic is, as I said before, is that the sovereignty actually belongs with you. What's clear this week around the coronation, more perhaps than ever for contemporary Australia, is that actually it doesn't rest with us. In order to do that, Australia needs to make its own decisions about where we're going. And we haven't done this. And so we're particularly interested at the ARM, the Australian Republic Movement, that we're particularly interested in what that process is to engage Australians. And that can be a, a, a broader conversation. You know, we can ask those questions around, you know, what is our pledge to the country? What is our broader Uluru statement, for example? What does it mean to us in 2023, 24, 25? We're talking here now three or four years away to a referendum. There's plenty of time for us to have this conversation. And, and certainly personally as a co-chair, and I know Nova and the organisation, we're not interested in rushing that. We want to have the conversation properly. I, we, I want to hear from multicultural Australia. And, and that's a whole range of views. But it's, it's time for us to listen to the, all of our communities I spoke to a prominent Australian of a non-white background, if you like, from one of our cultural, broad cultural or cold communities, whatever term we wish to use, um, and uh, quite recently. And that person said to me, whenever we have these conversations, I'm not involved in it. I don't feel as though I am making a contribution. Australia is not asking me. It's asking the people that we see represented across media and politics and other things. I don't really have a say. The only say I go is when I go to the ballot box. And I said to them, we want to listen to not just your voice, your community and all other communities. That's an incredibly exciting process to participate in. What does that look like that's in the next six months? You know, as, as you, you might have heard me say this, this year, only now because of the coronation, it's almost necessary for us to step forward here. But we've tried to do in the most sensitive and respectful way possible. And the rest of the year is, is our opportunity to step back and allow First Nations to have that platform. Um, but we are preparing diligently for that process next year. The process is going to be a beautiful experience for all of us. We, we don't all agree, and there are a range of views. Um, however, I think this week, and undoubtedly our polling and our research says only of two weeks ago, that Australia is ready. Um, you know, what we've seen this week in terms of you know, the, the unrepresentative nature and who we are, there's been a very strong pushback by Australians this week, rightly saying, we're not doing that. You know, don't ask us to do that. And undoubtedly that's going to now power you know the whole thinking and um, the movement if you like for all of us in other words we're moving very quickly I believe and, and the research does say beyond is this right to actually what does it look like over a few years we'll have those conversations whether that's town halls or whether that's a participatory democracy or whether it's citizen assemblies or Whatever that is, that's going to be extraordinary. And I hope at the end that we can make a pledge and say this is who we are and this is part of our new compact between every Australian and that every Australian feels involved in that process.
And I was thinking that I need to ask you how important you think the language that is used in those conversations. Yeah. And I think back to the, the, I would say, clumsy attempts around multiculturalism, okay. explaining what it means and how we should go through it, uh, in particular from an individual who lost the prime ministership and his own seat in parliament mm -hmm. in 2007. Mm -hmm. his, his, uh, some of his language, uh, for example, talking about tolerance without really explaining what the tolerance right. meant. And a lot of people were open to uh, their own interpretation of that. For me, I thought, well, what I think he means is that we need to tolerate the differences between mm -hmm. each of us. Uh, my wife, sitting right here, migrated here from the Philippines 40-odd uh, years ago. Her, and her feeling was that, look, if you feel you have to tolerate me, sure. don't bother. So it was the language that it wasn't called out at all, it wasn't fully explained, mm. it added to the confusion. Mm. So um, how do you feel about yeah. the language that is used? I, I, I fully agree with you that la language and terminology used by public figures, by members of parliament, by prime ministers and by prominent figures is incredibly important. You know, I spent a lot of time in recent years working to try and turn around the narrative, for example, on refugees, and the demonisation of certain sections, either of Australia or external. And that's all language. That's all language. When you want to demonise and marginalise, the most important thing to do is to make sure that your language uh, characterises the issue in that way. That's one of the best examples we've had in the last 20 years. Um, and therefore, you know, I, I am attuned to what you're saying that it's incredibly important. My answer to you would be, let's ask Multicultural Australia. I don't want to make the language up. I want to hear from First Nations. I want to hear from all of our different cultural groups what they feel, what they think, and what is appropriate for them. And that's what governments and people with political agendas tend not to do. That's why this next entire period for Australia is about us. It actually can't be hijacked by people who want to use it for their own political ends. It has to be Australians talking to Australians of all of our different backgrounds. All we want to do is facilitate that conversation. When it comes to bringing this issue to life, we want to make sure that that's independently and authentically done. We want to genuinely hear from Australia. We want all of us to come together and chart our path forward. It's the only way to do it truly and properly. I love the sound of the consultation and active citizenship process you spoke about. Yeah. Um, it's inevitable though that there'll be some uh, folks who have a preference for an alternative model uh, sure. other than where the sort of majority coalesce around. What's your strategy for effectively persuading them to, mm. to vote yes, even though it's, it's not their preferred model, which was effectively what, what killed us in 99. Good question, thank you. So, of course, there's a whole uh, range of views on you know, what should happen go forward, including from uh, some of the most high-profile people in the country and former prime ministers and people who have been involved in this for a very long time. And, and I've spoken to the vast majority of them you know, about the ultimate desire and the first step for us is to decide where it is that we're headed. And as I said, I think this week has probably been a strong accelerator of that process. 
the most important thing is that the ARM, nor anyone else, tries to push on Australia a particular view as to where it is we're going before we have the conversation. And so my answer to you is that that will be worked out in the conversation because we never really had that in 99. And so let's have those deliberations. I use the word deliberation because that is, for example, the Irish experience where I'm, I'm thinking about and trying to schedule to head in June, fairly soon, to have a look at their model of participatory, uh, you know, citizen involvement. And the reason is because what they do is they get a representative room and they ask them for a certain number of weekends over a period of time and they have a very deliberate process by which we talk through these issues. And what we find is if we go immediately to the different models and the choices that people have, very often there hasn't been a great deal of deliberation on those. And, and therefore by allowing Australians to have the conversations about the complexities and trusting in the maturity of Australians to have those conversations, you, we, we will actually find that people will naturally start to change their views. Because you might say today, or I might say, I think this is, this is the path forward. But then let's go sit in a room and talk about the different alternatives and what the strengths and weaknesses are of all of them. And you might find that you start to think a little bit more deeply and differently about the issue. That's the process that we want to see and that I particularly want to see. At the moment, if we went next week and said, this is it, everyone takes corners, put the boxing gloves on and go, well, I think he is and these people are wrong and this. Let's avoid that. Let's avoid that. It's completely unnecessary. This is why we're also saying, and I think it's important to say to Australia, and we will write to Charles in the next couple of days saying, we want you with us. Okay? These things I think we think you need to account for and you at least, at least need to acknowledge them because this is the path that we're on. But we want you with us. This is not a rejection of you. In the, that's in the same way as saying to everyone who has an alternate view currently in Australia, don't worry about that. I turn a view on the model because we're overwhelmingly in favour of going. And in fact, we were overwhelmingly in favour of going in 99. So we are a Republican group wanting to move. So don't worry about it. Don't stress about that now. Let's walk through a process and have the conversation. And let's get in rooms and discuss that respectfully as Australians. That, I think, is going to be a wonderful process for all of us. There will no doubt, and part of your what you just said then, we'll look at the issue of models. Yep. I'm actually starting to wonder myself whether in fact to be truly courageous mm -hmm. and become a republic, do we in fact need to seed that republic into a particular person? And in fact, would we not be mostly truly courageous to rest the concept of the republic in the parliament, which is the true democracy. Mm -hmm. it's a great been, question. Yeah, I'm just starting to think myself, do we actually sure. need to have someone who cuts yep. ribbons and... That's a wonderful question. That is a fabulous question. And you know what my answer to is reasonably simple? We're going to have that conversation. And you are most welcome, like everyone else, to prosecute that case and let Australians hear it. And let's walk that journey and, and make our decision. Craig Foster, Chair of the Australian Republic Movement, 
responding to questions after delivering the 2023 Manning Clark Lecture. It was called Australia's Third Act, Reconciled, Independent, Truly Multicultural and was recorded at the Australian National University on May the 2nd, so just before the coronation of King Charles. You'll have your own views on what he's shared today. This is Big Ideas. I'm Natasha Mitchell. Be sure to follow us on the ABC Listen app and tell your friends about the podcast, Big Ideas. I'll catch you next time. Bye. been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.